So we're, we're, we're really in the home stretch. Uh, hey, how are you? I've been thinking about you. Yeah. Um, we're in the home stretch right now for, uh, for Rosh Hashanah and Japan and everything like that. So, so these parshas are really, you know, the whole Torah is functioning on so many different levels. The Torah is infinite. We always talk about it. In fact, it's, it, we, we say it's the, the infinite compressed into the finite. So, hey guys, come, have a seat. So, so we're saying that the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. And uh, so, so among, among everything that's going on in the Torah, it's, it's very, on one level, it's very much addressing ourselves toward preparing for Rosh Hashanah and, and Yom Kippur. And uh, everything, every, everything uh, going on. So, so this is Parshat Ki Tsei and and... Uh, it's very powerful, and I, I think I think that our group, especially, is really going to identify with, with what we're talking about today. You know, because well, you'll you'll hear as we go on. So let me just read the opening of it. It says, "When you will go out to war against your enemies, and Hashem your God will deliver him into your hand, and you will capture his captivity, um, and you will see among the captivity a woman who is beautiful of form." And you will desire her, and you will take her to yourself for a wife. You shall bring her to the midst of your house. She shall shave her head and let her nails grow. She shall remove the garment of her captivity from upon herself and sit in your house, and she shall weep for her father and her mother for a full month. Thereafter you may come to her and live with her, and she shall be a wife to you. But it shall be that if you do not desire her, then you shall send her out on her own. But you may not sell her for money and not enslave her because you have afflicted her. Okay, so I wish, uh, having read that, that I had read another translation. (laughs) 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 Nothing against this, but it's uh, it's a little formal. So let me just sort of like uh, translate that into more uh, contemporary language. Uh, paraphrase it. So basically what we're talking about is a time of war. A person goes out at a time of war and there's a very interesting uh, halakhic, almost um, relatively speaking, irregularity. I mean, it is a halakha, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a strange halakha. One who goes out, a soldier who goes out to war and... I don't know if anyone here has been in the army. I haven't, but but it's an it's it's an intense as everyone describes it throughout all of history. It's a very very intense adrenaline rush, and you're almost not even yourself when you're in these uh, extreme set of circumstances. And it might be that you you see a woman and you desire her and you you are with her and you bring her back and you're almost in an altered state with all of the with all of the heightened life experience going on right now and you're thinking okay this is forever this is like you know we really belong together so the Torah is giving you amazing advice right now it says before you marry her here's what you have to do bring her home put her in your tent let her mourn her family and her gods because she's going to have to convert to Judaism if you're going to marry her let her grow her hair out and her nails out you know in other words um, so to speak See her not necessarily all, all dialed up, you know? See her in maybe how she would normally look when she wakes up in the morning, you know? Except to shave her head. Yeah, that's a good point. Shave her head. 
you know, like let's um, let's 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 make sure let's make sure that you're relating. We're we're just discussing the the the, the, the direct implication of the text right now, and then we're going to go deeper into the spiritual levels that, that that are being suggested here as well. In other words. It's really important. We're going to talk about bribery uh, in a moment also. So it's really important that you understand the situation that you're getting into. Shave her head. In other words, in other words, when, when one selects someone to be their life partner, you, you really have to know who you're getting into business with. In other words, you have to understand the person's true, the true essence of the person. Don't be blinded by uh, exterior beauty. See, see the inside of the person. So this is really relating that in a very, very stark, stark way. You know, we're talking about war right now. So this is, this is life and death business right now. We're not kidding around. So shave her head. Let her fingernails grow. And then after 30 days, when she's in her tent, she's... You see her for what she is, who she really is, perhaps for the good. This doesn't mean that, that every situation like this is going to be bad. But, you know... The, Whenever one leads with their instinct first, a, a lot of times uh, the best thing doesn't always come out of that. You know, a person has to proceed through life with a plan and, and somewhat rationally. Not to be, God forbid, a robot. You know, there's a role for emotion, certainly. But when one makes the big choices in life, one has to think them through. And, and a, a wartime meeting, when one is sort of like torching villages, and they're sort of like, hi, how are you? You know, is not necessarily the most ideal thought out meeting okay so so then at the end of these 30 days if you still think okay this is this this person is for me then then go ahead um, you can marry her but if not send her on her way and don't try to profit from it additionally don't try to sell her or, 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 or something like that like she's your slave and you should sell her okay so what I, what I'd like to do is you know, like I say, the Torah is, is functioning on all levels. This is certainly, what I just said, certainly applies, and it applies to a wartime situation. But the rabbis look at this, and, and they say, first of all, let, let's talk about it in another context. Let's talk about it in an everyday spiritual context right now. Something that maybe we can all relate to, especially now as we're sort of like settling our, our heavenly account as we, as we go into the new year. So, so the rabbis say... That when it says, when you go into war against your enemies, what are we really talking about right now? A person and the Yetzirah. The person and their evil inclination, their, 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 negative, their negative traits. That's what it's talking about. So, so how are you supposed to... And that's all they say on that. But I want to continue myself, these are my words now, but I want to continue using that point from the rabbis as the jumping off point. I want to continue to explore what it is this Parsha is saying in that context. Okay. So it says, when you go out into war and you confront this attribute of yours that you're not happy with, or which is trying to lead you astray or into ruination, which is actually trying to kill you. you I, I heard from Rabbi Green, one has to understand something about their evil inclinations or their or their, their, their lesser side. It's not just trying to get you to do the wrong thing. You have to understand it for what it is. It is actually trying to kill you. It's trying to kill you. 
So just understand what, 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 what the motivation is. Because unless you understand, you know, it says, know your enemy. Unless you understand who your enemy is and what it desires, you, you have no way of effectively dealing with it. So understand that, that those things which, which, which you find negative don't, don't just want you to have a, a maybe a, a, uh, a good time in a way that's perhaps not socially acceptable or perhaps not something your, your parents would agree with. It actually wants to kill you and uproot you not just from this world, but from the next world as well. So you have to understand we're talking about life and death right now. So the interesting thing about this Parsha, I think, is that it talks about after a person has so-called defeated their enemy. Let me develop that further. You know, sometimes you can stop doing something, whatever it is. Maybe it's for a short period of time. You've stopped doing something. You've, you've defeated, you've conquered this, this beautiful woman, right, that the Torah is talking about. And then it says, you know what you do with her? You take her into your tent. Now, the tent, that's the person, that's the person himself. In other words, you have done battle with this particular desire, whatever it is, and maybe you've stopped giving into it for a period of time, but that desire comes into yourself. And it's living within your tent. It's living inside of you still. Sometimes we can make a mistake. We think that maybe because I'm not doing something outwardly, that doesn't mean that I'm not still living every single day, every single moment with the desire to continue to do it. This desire is living inside of me, inside of my tent. Now what am I supposed to do with it? Well, it says you have to recognize it for what it really is. You have to expose it for what it really is. You have to shave its head, so to speak. You have to let its nails grow. You have to let it wail. You have to see what is this thing that's inside of me. Because if you think the battle ends just when you sort of like outwardly defeated it, then you don't know what Torah is all about. Torah is from the inside out. It's also from the outside in. But that's the easier step. I'm talking about levels of spirituality right now, levels of purification, levels of righteousness right now. Stopping doing it on the outside is just the beginning. Stopping to desire it, that's the highest. You know, how many of us, how many of us, like, have stopped doing a particular act, whatever it is, and yet, maybe in our weaker moments, or in our quiet moments, or when we're alone, fantasize about that forbidden act that we did long ago and continue to derive secret pleasure from it. You know what that means? That means if it's still a source of pleasure for you, that means it's still living inside your tent. Believe me, you know, as far as levels go, that's, that's it's, it's not a terrible level. You know? Although, there is an opinion that it is. 
you should just know there is an opinion that it is. Given the choice of doing something or not doing it, the best thing is not to do it. But there is an opinion among the rabbis which is that someone who fantasizes about doing something wrong is worse than someone who just does something wrong. Why? Because they're getting sort of all, they're trying to outsmart God essentially. <laughs> they're trying to get all the benefits from it without doing it. And they're also suggesting that, you know something, if I had my way, this is, this, this is what I would do. I'm talking about the highest levels right now. These are, these are levels that if you feel like, holy smokes, I'm just trying to get through the day, you know, without shooting someone, you know? <laughs> Who is he talking to, you know? You know, okay, okay. I, I hear that. I absolutely hear that. But you know something, you know? It, it, it can't be wrong to just desire to, to just be absolutely, you know, 10,000% pure. It, it can't be wrong to desire that. And, and, and that's the level that I'm talking about right now. Okay, I, I, I got to just keep on going for now. I, I'm going to give you a chance, I promise. So then, then it says, then it says after that 30 days, if you still desire her, you can marry her. So what does that mean exactly? It sounds more complicated. Like, so then I can do the wrong thing? After 30 days, I've, made, I've seen it for what it is. I've decided I want to do the wrong thing. Is that what it's saying? That's not what it's saying. It's saying something very, very, very deep. Two aspects to our soul. One is called the Nefesh Behema, and one is called the Nefesh Sichlios. The Nefesh Behema is, so to speak, it would be translated as the, the more animalistic aspect of our soul. And then we have the higher aspect of it, which is the more sort of like thought out, reasonable aspect, that, that the higher aspect of our of our soul. There are yes. So, so Sechlios. Sechel means intelligence. Okay. But but for our purposes, let's say they're the same thing. Okay. I understand this well because this is this is a very very important foundation in understanding human nature and and how to deal with our various emotions and our various attributes. We have certain desires. They're very strong emotional desires. Let's call them lust. Let's call them vengeance. Let's call them jealousy. I mean these are the hardcore kind of like honor, running after honor like these are like the real kind of things that that can really really mess a person up and, and so to speak, we tend to think of them as uniformly negative like what can be good about lust or what could be good about jealousy or what could be good about desiring honor or vengeance aren't, aren't all those things the things that I'm supposed to eradicate from myself but it's deeper than that. 
it's much deeper than that. The point is, is that these raw emotions exist in the animal, animalistic level of our soul. These strong desires. And they're not bad. The question is, how are we working with them? And how are we integrating them into our higher self and using them as an engine to increase the glory of heaven in this world? David HaMelech, King David says in the Psalms, he says, I love, he uses the word taiva, which means lust. I, God, I lust after you. You know, the Rambam says that, that one of the things that we're supposed to understand from the pleasure of, of relations between a man and a wife is it's, it's supposed to give us a model for the intimacy and the desire that we're supposed to have for God. That that sense of intimacy and, and, and closeness and, and, and to, to, to be connected in that way, that's the proper channel for that lust. In other words, it's not inherently bad. What about, what about, what about jealousy? To say, you know something? You know, I'll give you a, one of my favorite examples. You know, a lot of people know that Judaism is very strong on the notion that there's one God. But there's another commandment in the Torah, and God doesn't repeat commandments. In other words, He doesn't give you two commandments that have the same purpose. So there's another commandment which people don't understand as well in terms of our concept of one God, which is we say we have one God, and then God also says, don't worship other gods. And you might think that's, well, wait a second, isn't that the same thing? We have one God, which means don't worship other gods. It's a separate commandment. In other words, it's not just recognize that there's a God, actively don't run or acknowledge other powers which aren't powers. I'll give you an example. Imagine, imagine you win an Academy Award. Okay? You're standing on the stage, you've got your Academy Award, it's a high moment in your career. The next moment, the next day, you get a phone call from Steven Spielberg, and he says, you know something, I'm looking for a writer or a director on my next project, and, and I want it to be you. And you say the following, he called me because of my Oscar. Sounds very reasonable. Sounds very reasonable. But if you look deep into your heart and you understand the emotional and spiritual logic behind a statement like that, you're saying that the power is radiating from this statue of the Oscar. That the, that the blessing that you've received of working with the top person in the industry is coming from this Oscar. That it's not coming from God. Very subtle. Very subtle. But you know something? They say baseball is a game of inches. You know what life is? <laughs> I mean, <it's>, ooh. <laughs> much smaller than that. M- much finer than that. And I'll tell you something. When, when I was in Israel many years ago. And I'll never forget this. There was a, before all the horrors that have been happening the last uh, few years. But of course, you know, we've been living with, in the face of terrorism since, since the beginning of the state, before the state, throughout history, right? It was uh, the holiday of Shavuos, 
and um, you know people who aren't so religious they take it as a as a as a they get the day off they take it as a beach day or a park day with their family whatever it is so the beaches of Tel Aviv are, are very crowded on on the day even though it's a religious holiday and the um, these uh, PLO uh, people wanted to make a massacre they were going to come onto the beach with machine guns and they were going to just just spray everyone who was going to be on a crowded beach. Okay? Listen to what happened. The boat, that the, this little raft that they were on, just the tiniest bit was turned this way. And so, instead of heading toward the beach where everyone was at, because of that tiny little turn, they went to a military compound. <laughs> And they were apprehended, and 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 nothing took place. Yeah. I don't. They looked on the beach, and they saw nothing but um, soldiers armed with tanks, machine guns, and everything. And clearly, they weren't armed. They were in the military on the beach, but that's what they saw. Huh. So um, it's probably a very correct, but. Yeah. Well, you know, so, uh, listen. I, 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 whichever one, I'm, I'm happy for for that version to be the case. You know, but because, but nonetheless, here's the point. The point is that a tiny, tiny little shift has huge implications in terms of the way one one leads their life. And so, I'm not playing games. Or, or, or trying to be, you know, like uh, ridiculous, basically. When I, when I say that, that a person might say, even though their language, like, okay, so I don't speak exactly all the time. So when I say, yes, he called me because of the Oscar, I don't really believe that the Oscar has a power or that it's a divinity and that it's giving me gifts. I don't really believe that. Oh, but wait a second, do you really believe that? <laughs> On some level? On some level? On a tiny level? Well, yeah. Alright. So, go ahead. In this metaphor then, yes. uh, between the Vatara and what Okay, good. I want to get back to that. Go ahead. Yeah. Is, uh, are we saying that the part about shaving your head and letting your girl king those nails on, etc., is that sort of like taking your desire that you have, whatever it is, and stripping it down to its essence so then you can reincorporate it into like doing good things with it? Very good. Exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say that right now. So So we have these core emotions. Just to throw out a few examples again, we're talking about lust, jealousy, honor, all of these things, vengeance, all of these things have in their root the, the very high, fantastic ability to be elevated and to be used as engines for our service to God. But what happens is, is that life itself is so challenging and, and everything is, is, is so intense that these things get knotted up and they get shifted a little bit and everything like that. And then all of a sudden, they become a lot of these strong desires become used for, for ends that, that are ultimately uh, spiritually destructive, emotionally destructive, socially destructive. And everything gets very complicated. So what's this idea of after 30 days that, you're, that, if you, that you can marry 
that you can marry this this captured this captured thing. So as Joel was saying, the idea is that that you've got a desire, you've been using it in the wrong way. You've been using it in the wrong way. You go out to battle with it. Outwardly, in terms of your actions, you conquer it, you defeat it, you've stopped doing that action. But the desire is still within you. Now you strip it down. You see it for what it is. Something that's not inherently bad, God forbid, but something that has the capacity to be elevated and uplifted. And that's the concept of marrying it. Raising it up and making it part of you. Ah, but if you can't, if you can't do that, then you got to send it out. You got to send it out. And don't try to make a profit on it. Because you know what that means, making a profit on it? That means, you know, something we're still in business. <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't see each other all the time. But, you know, I still derive something of an income from it. Can't do it. At that point, at that point, you, you, you either see that you have the capacity to elevate it, or you got to cut it out. Okay, so now let's get deeper into that aspect. Okay, go ahead. No, 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 it's not. Okay, okay, Ed, I'll answer just, and I'm not going to give you a deep answer, I'll just give you a very, very simple answer. As, as I hope you can see from what we've just been talking about, all we're talking about is dealing with desire right now, which is male and female. In terms of the actual circumstances of the case, okay, one second, in terms of dealing with the actual circumstances of the case, this is totally real. There are wars. There are wars. And people go out to war and soldiers see, see civilians who are women. And this is discussing, this is talking on a very brute practical level. It is. It is. Because it helps you think beyond how men think. And we know how humiliating it would be to sit in a minute. We can, we can relate beyond ourselves, whereas men are relating on a whole different level. Okay. So, so let's, let's go back. Let's go back. Okay. So now I want to go into last week's Parsha right now. I heard uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Gross, Parmi Gross, speak uh, yesterday at Chalashudas. And he made a couple of... Just, he spoke for a short period of time. He's the head of the Maimonides school here, excellent school. And he said some, some beautiful things. And it's, uh, it relates very much to where we're leaving off now. So the beginning of last week's Parsha, Parsha Shoftim, it talks about... It talks about making judges and police officers. And if you look at the language of the of the Torah, there's a, a an interesting uh, an interesting irre- irregularity, which uh, is 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 it wants to alert us to something. It says shoftim v'shotrim titen lecha. So judges and officers you shall appoint and it goes on to say in all of your cities. So 
the different mitzvahs in the Torah, some of them have, uh, some of them are meant for the individual, and some of them are meant for the community. Hey, Ruthie. So, some of them are meant for the, for, for the individual, and some of them are meant for the community. So, in, in terms of setting up judges and, and police officers, who, who, who is that for? The individual or for the community? Mm. For the community. Definitely. Okay? So then, that, you're right, so, so then that, that begs the next question, which is, why does it say titin lecha? Lecha is singular. So in other words, it's saying, it's saying that here's this community obligation, but then it says, you the individual shall make it. So it says, it should say lechem. You as a community have an obligation to do officers and police, and policemen. Judges and policemen, rather. I think I, I, think I get it. Okay, go ahead. I think I got it when you were, t- you were, you were, because it, it's like your friends and your robs and your advisors are like your judges and police and everybody, and everybody needs that on an individual level in order to be able to really keep themselves in check. Yeah. I think that's, that is what I'm saying and, and I'm going to continue with that thought. So, so what, what he did was he, he broke it down he broke it down further and I, I've never heard it put like this before but, but I think that this is uh, an important piece of advice in terms of how we have to deal with the challenges that we confront Okay, and hopefully this will be real practical advice for, for all of us so there's, there's a, another mitzvah in the Torah it's I think uh, in last week's Parsha or maybe it, it was in the week before I'm not sure it says that when you go out to war, so now imagine you're in the middle of a battle, it says don't be afraid. So if you can imagine yourself in the middle like you're in a foxhole and there are bullets whistling above your head and then all of a sudden you remember, hey, there's a mitzvah, I'm not supposed to be afraid. You know what? Good luck. <laughs> if you're trying to keep that mitzvah at that moment, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So how do you keep that mitzvah? By preparing yourself before the battle. If you're able to properly prepare yourself before you get into that situation, then you at least have a fighting chance at that moment. No, yeah, right. I didn't, didn't even hear it. You're right. So, 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 so it goes. So it goes with with life's tests as well. Oftentimes, if we find ourselves you know, in front of a crack pipe or whatever it is, you know, and you're trying to decide in the moment, should I do this, should I not do this? It's like, good luck. You know, yeah, I, I don't know how you're going to pass that test, frankly. I wish you the best, believe me, but I don't know how you're going to pass that test. So what he says is, it says, look at the language of the Torah. It says, make a judge and then make a police officer. First you have to make a judge. In other words, first you have to make real, actual decisions about how you want to run your life. Once you've made that initial preparation before you go into battle, and you've sort of like conquered your desire, or at least put your desire in solid check, 
Then when you get into that situation, all you need is the police officer to say, go this way, avoid that group. Because the real battle has already been won. Because you've made a judgment, you've decided how you, what your policy is in a situation like that. You've already come to the conclusion. Now it's almost like on an administrative level. I'm not saying it won't be tough at the moment of challenge, but it won't be nearly the same battle as it would have been otherwise. One has to recognize, you know, it's like Rip Shlomo says, I always say it by Pesach. He says, you know something, if a person wants to be free, they need a plan. Freedom doesn't just mean that I'm out of the uh, jurisdiction of whoever this harsh ruler is. Freedom means I know where I'm going. If a person doesn't know where they're going, they can't be free. Because they're slaves to their own indecision, they're slaves to their own desires of the moment. But if a person has made an initial judgment and they know the direction that they want to head in, then they know what's going on. This world is a very strange place. It's a very strange place. There are a lot of things in this world which are fun and will kill you. And we think, if it's fun, how's it going to kill me? Because it's fun. I know it's fun because I've had fun with it. What could be better proof? (laughs) And yet I know other people who have died from this fun. (laughs) They must have been doing something wrong. (laughs) As opposed to, it's not fun. The way it kills you is by presenting itself as fun. (laughs) And it doesn't lie. It actually delivers on the fun. And then it kills you. You know? So there's no, you know, so you think, you think, wait a second, I'm checking this thing out. It seems to be true to its word. Promise me fun, it's delivering the fun, it must be upright. And then you're dead. Right? You know, I I heard this a long time ago, and it, it always stayed with me, which is that. It's, it's what I call the ultimate double cross. The, the Yetzirah, the, the, our negative inclination, we think, we go through life and we hear it chatting in our head and we hear, you know, do this, go there, be with that person, do this, eat that. And we think, it's my co-conspirator. You know? I'm behind the wheel, it's riding shotgun, we're best friends, Right? And then you know what happens? Listen, this is this is this is devastating. I mean, you want to hear like you want to hear at the end of 120 when we stand before the heavenly court, the prosecuting attorney comes out. And you know who the prosecuting attorney is? 
wait a second. The person who I was riding shotgun with, my co-conspirator, my best friend, was wearing a wire and was working for the government the entire time? Wasn't my friend? Was just accumulating evidence against me the entire time? This is the notion of shaving the head, letting the nails grow. You know, they say after a body dies, the nails continue to grow, you know? So nails growing is like death. You know, seeing it for what it is, it's just, it's death. It's death, that's all. A person has to decide that. They have to make that decision. You know, I remember I had this moment. There was, my father will tell you, I used to love this spaghetti place on 72nd Street. It was called Albangusto. I don't know why I'm telling you that. And uh, I had a roommate, and he had come back from Kenya, and we were up until the middle of the night drinking vermouth. I don't, I don't know who drinks vermouth exactly, but I guess I guess that's what was in the house. So and so and we were both. I, we were up to like I don't know three in the morning, whatever it is, and then we started throwing up, and you know, and we were sick. And the next morning. We decided to get spaghetti. <laughs> oh, makes sense. And I don't I had an intense headache, you know, like an intense hangover, like one of maybe the worst of my life were right up there. And it was just a splitting headache. I could hardly open up my eyes. And I was looking at this plate of spaghetti. And I love the spaghetti, you know? And uh after I got into Harvard, the first thing I did was I went to this place to get some spaghetti. <laughs> That's how I celebrated. So, so you know I really like this place, you know? And I'm looking at the spaghetti, and I'm thinking, if I eat this, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> but I'm thinking, but I love this spaghetti. <laughs> but I'm thinking, this is not good for me right now. <laughs> Nothing good is going to come from this. And I'm like, but look at it. It's all red, orangey, and nice. We've seen the little, little white <laughs> We have to make a decision. If, if we go through life, if we go through life, like a person with a vermouth hangover in front of a plate of spaghetti. <laughs> We're going to lose. <laughs> that, that state of... Did I eat the spaghetti? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I honestly don't. You can <laughs> because that, that feeling was so... That, that sense... Because, you know, it's... It, it, it's not every time that you, you, you confront a certain situation in life and you go, okay, you, you, you're conscious of how much of a metaphor it is, you know? But, but really, if you, if you go through life in a state of 
this thing, whatever it is, fill in the blank, everyone's got their, their thing which is out to kill them. And that's the first step, like I say, recognizing that it wants to kill you. You go through life trying to decide throughout life. It's my friend. It's not my friend. It's good. I can do it a little bit. Maybe not. You won't. You won't win. You won't. You won't be the person that you can be. You just won't. It's just not going to happen. Make a decision. Be a judge. Think clearly. Make real decisions. And ask real questions. Say, now, just talk specifics with a friend or with whoever. And ask, now, why exactly isn't this good for me? Get into the specifics of it. Because you yourself have to believe that it's not good for you. Because if you don't believe that, you're not going to be able to come to an actual decision on the subject. And remember, it can be fun and satisfying and bad for you. There is no contradiction there. And with everything, you know, there's some things that you just got to Stop. Just you say, I'm stopping, and that's it. And there are other things, depending on the circumstances and on the person and on the situation, where you have to go incrementally. And you have to make small, attainable goals. One of the big tricks of the Yet Sahara, of the other side, is it... it it encourages you and it goes, you want to improve yourself? Yes! Let's improve ourselves. So I'll tell you what, let's accomplish this by Thursday with the full knowledge that you're going to fail. So that you'll plummet and you'll become depressed and discouraged and you'll abandon the entire enterprise. Real attainable goals. Then you get through this step and you feel empowered and you go, okay, well maybe I can maybe I can make some headway into this. You wouldn't have any questions? Okay. Um, my question is, are is there someone that is making your tapes yet? Or if there is not, can we have somebody in the class that will start doing it? Because I would really and I'm sure there's other people that would love yeah. have a tape definitely of today and yes. a few other weeks ago that was really intense yeah. and if not I'll find somebody if somebody okay. isn't on it right yeah. now okay okay Is yeah I want to do that um, well I'm on it but I, I openly acknowledge I'm doing a really lousy job <laughs> <laughs> is there anybody so. you know that copying <laughs> copying tapes there anybody here that is good at copying tapes? There, there is someone. I, you know what? I'll find yeah, out. Okay. Okay. Let's be in touch. Let's I'll email back. Anyone on? Go ahead. Yeah. Is that yourself? Yeah. Or is that outside force? Well, I mean, it depends on the circumstances and the persons. It can be either. But but working with the idea that titen lecha is 
that lecha means is individual, is singular. It really means it means yourself. You know. Um, so the the example that Rabbi Gross gave yesterday was when he goes into the supermarket and he sees um, a pork product. He's already made the decision that he's not going to do that. So so all he needs to do is when he gets to that, not not to reach for it. That's the police officer, so to speak, or to turn his cart to the item that he want, wants to get. So, so playing it out in that way, it would, the the police officer would be yourself. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to apply this to something more complex, like the idea of uh, be specific uh, in relation with your parents, and let's say you have a lot of patients, and you're a great deal of hostility, and you, you want to as even as you can. Um, well, you know, the, the and I, I, I forgot who, who's, who said this. Really one of the Gedola Yisrael, one of the, the great people, one of the great rabbis. I, I wish I could tell you in whose name, but like a household name. I think it's the Chovitz Chaim, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Said um, that, if a, that um, it's a tremendous spiritual help if you're having difficulty with a particular mitzvah to learn the halachas of that mitzvah, the various laws of that mitzvah. Because a lot of times, um, you know, you have intellect and you have emotion. And when emotion is dominant, it's very hard to think systematically. And oftentimes when it comes to a spiritual block, a systematic approach is required. And when you, when you see the blueprint for what it is, which is what the halacha presents, then it gives you a level of clarity and insight that will help you in terms of dealing with the challenge that's in front of you. I know Rabbi Pliskin, for instance, has a short book on patience. And there are other books that, that, that detail the laws of kibbutz Adaim, of honoring your parents. So um, they're just chapters and in English also. So I would recommend... Um, I would recommend looking into those things and then just getting a, a, a tight frame of reference. And, and that will be an aid to you. Yeah. I was wondering if real quickly you could give a, um, a quick summary of the permutation of the name of God for the month of Elul since we just right. Elul. Yeah, yeah. I believe it's Hey, Hey, Vav, and Yud. And um, I don't know the Pasuk it correlates with. The month of Elul is Gad. Gad, uh, you know, we say Eliyahu Hagiladi. There are two opinions about uh, the lineage of Eliyahu, who everyone knows, Elijah the prophet, who who announces the coming of the Messiah. One opinion is that he was a Kohen, which means he would be from the tribe of Levi. Another opinion is that he's actually uh, Giladi from from Gad. Um, so, 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 you know, it's sort of like. Mashiach can come, so to speak, like Eliyahu is coming before the new year. And interestingly also, Elul is always 29 days, which is a, a shorter month, because it's sort of like Hashem wants to get to the, to the, to the good news to the redemption quicker.